Just before we get started, I want to share with you one of our sponsors and a secret to our success. I don't know about you, but I got into commercial property to build a more passive income. But how do you manage multiple clients and contracts in multiple buildings without spending all of your time on endless spreadsheets? After a lot of research, we use Office R&D, the best flexible workspace software to manage our CMO buildings, co-working and flexspace. For starters, the automated bill run saves hours of work and means we don't miss any revenue. Plus, I can get many reports on the performance of each product and location. But here's the real clincher. We all need to focus on customers more and our clients can now use our app to access buildings, book meeting rooms, review their invoices. And there's a great feature where they can interact with our member community. And this is all managed from within the Office R&D platform. There's a partner link in the show notes so you can book a demo. Take a look, see how the system can improve your operations and customer experience. Right, make yourself comfortable. Let's get on with today's show. Hello, welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This week, I'm excited to introduce you to our special guest, Andrew McDonald. Andrew's been involved in the UK property market for over 25 years. He's worked as a property consultant for many significant private investors and institutional investors across lots of different sectors, including retail, office, residential and leisure developments. He has kind of a unique position, though, of having a foot in both camps, being involved in consultancy and agency work while also investing and developing himself, which gives him, a, I feel, a good balanced view. We talk about a number of topics relating to commercial property agents, the current market, what private investors should look out for, and in particular, we dig into the current state of the retail sector and the opportunities therein. So without further ado, let's hear from Andrew himself. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor podcast. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you um, spending a few minutes with us. Can you maybe just give us a bit of an introduction to what you're doing right now? What's your typical day? Yeah, Jerry, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Do I have a typical day? Um, they, they all seem to be pretty much different at the moment. But uh, if I was to say, if I was to put my finger on it, I'm busy looking for redundant commercial property in our town centres with a view to repurposing or converting into into other uses so we're um primarily spending my time speaking to agents um canvassing derelict properties establishing a network of of like-minded buyers and developers in my area um just to see if we can get some some pipeline deals through uh, over the coming months brilliant so do you i mean that is right up my street that's exactly the, the sort of thing i like to do do you find those buildings for others or do you try and develop them out yourselves? What's the kind of structure that you use for that? Well, because we've got um, a commercial agency arm as well, it's, it, they, they do tie in, uh, nicely together because the deals we're turning up at the moment, um, not all of them uh, are going to be appropriate for what we want uh, or within our skill set necessarily, or the deal structure might not be right. So um, we've got the capability through <coughs> Tandem Real Estate to pass those on to, to other investors who are active in our area. Um, so yeah, we're doing that as part of our daily tasks as well, just, just establishing that network of investors and developers in, in and around the home counties and, and the, the M25 at the moment as well. Ah, great, sounds like a great structure. And I was gonna ask you about your geographical spread. So is that basically, the, that's your patch inside the M25? Yes, we we did um, we did flirt with the idea of going up to the sort of northwest where you can you know it can seems like you can buy a whole town for 
or uh, what you know what a house in I'm afraid in central London costs but uh, <laughs> due to the constraints and uh, uh, yeah, end, end use values and such like we decided to stay closer to home my business partner is based in Hertfordshire north of London so he covers probably from Buckinghamshire and Essex upwards and I'm in Godalming which is south of London so I do Berkshire downwards all around Kent and Hampshire and Surrey and such like so yeah those are generally the sort of you know what people class as the stock broker belts where you know values are high enough to support conversion generally. How are you finding competition in that area? I mean it's a big area between you. Well it seems like the whole world and its wife now thinks it's a good yeah. uh, good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what there's enough real estate around the place for everybody to have you know have a go at it isn't there? Yeah, um, and you know, you know, a bit of friendly competition is no no bad thing as well. It sharpens the it sharpens the skills and the senses. So um, for sure. And, and you've actually got a really quite interesting background, Andrew, because you started off with surveying, didn't you? How how did you get to this point? What's been kind of the journey? Yeah, so I, I had quite um quite a sort of traditional route into the business, um, and it's still it's still a fairly well trodden path. I started out as a graduate surveyor in the, in the mid nineties working at a retail consultancy, um, which was called Cherston Heard. We were, um, I said, probably one of the biggest, if not the best, commercial retail consultancy in the UK at that time. Um, and I was doing, um, I was doing lettings of shops primarily in central London. I was acting for retailers, buying trading space for them. Uh, the claim to fame I've, I've got it <laughs> is that I acquired four of the first coffee shops for Starbucks in the UK. <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, at the time, we were called Seattle Coffee Company. Probably yeah, around. of course, yeah. Um, and uh, so I stayed there a few years, moved, moved on to the commercial headquarters at Stratton Parker, um, did, uh, again, doing some retailer work, doing some more landlord work. I was getting more involved in the investment side then. Um, they had um, a really strong department buying and selling really big shopping centres up and down our, you know, up and down the UK. And I was sort of shadowing the... <clears throat> the big the main partner in that in that department um just providing occupational advice and design advice and um on the ground advice for you know their big uh, pension fund clients and developer clients when they were trying to buy and sell their big retail shopping centers um and then i moved over so i did that for about 10 years and then i moved to the capital value side where, where i currently am at the moment um so that is buying and selling uh, high street investments for wide range of um, pension funds, property companies, high net worth individuals. Um, it's a pretty much a brokerage role, really. Um, so that's really, yeah. so, so you so effectively now you've got two, as you as you mentioned earlier on, you said, yeah, we've kind of got an agency, but actually that's a pretty big part. There's quite a lot of moving parts there, isn't there? And you've you've got <coughs> um, by the sounds of it some really large clients looking for your assistance in the retail sector. Is that yes. fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, part of the reason for um, setting up Tandem Real Estate was um, uh, because uh, retail brokerage was getting very difficult. Our pension fund clients were putting themselves back from the sector, probably it was noticeable about four or five, six years ago. Um, so our bread and butter work of um, buying, selling retail parades, trying to, trying to do deals in the sort of five to 20 million pounds category yeah. through pension funds, that was becoming extremely difficult to do. Um, and uh, yeah, they were turning their turn their eye to other sectors like hotels, industrial offices, you know, wide range of alternative uses. So um, 
<clears throat> we sell town and real estate so we can give ourselves a bigger bigger spread of deals to do and also to let ourselves have the time to do some development work on our own on our own account so yeah which is how we're splitting the week effectively between yeah. the commercial brokerage and development side that's that's quite interesting i need to ask you a question because i've been talking about agents um and that you know sometimes they can absolutely be the best friends you can <coughs> ever have and then other times they just don't want to be your <coughs> friend <laughs> <laughs> at all um through the um, agency side would you actually take on a client who's looking for a specific property and actually find them a property maybe even develop it for them and they get a yield is that something that you do i suppose we could now in our current iteration with with tandem and our development arm um most of our clients are pretty well historically have been pretty sophisticated developers and and uh, pension funds so um our core business has been buying the completed asset for pension funds. So that is a, a shop or a parade of shops which are up and up and let and up and running and income producing. Um, but we, we, yeah, so we, we, we talk to various developers and investors. We look for a brief, find out who's genuinely buying. Um, a lot will say they are, but when push comes to shove, they're actually not. Um, and then we sort of, you know, we have a list of requirements. And in our daily duties, we speak to other agents and see, you know, see if we can dig up those deals. Yeah, and do you do you tend to work that again? This is me just asking because of previous chats. But do you tend to work on a commission basis, on a project by project basis? When when you're you know, what's the typical sort of setup for somebody that's <clears> looking <throat> to employ somebody to go and find buildings because they maybe haven't got the time or they haven't got the contacts in the network? Because trying to get into that network is quite challenging sometimes, especially if you're new. If yeah. it's so a lot of our listeners are new, relatively new to commercial and they're trying to find properties they're trying to understand how the market works and that whole um sector network with agents you know what what's, is sometimes employing an agent to actually go and find a building for them one of the better strategies what's your thoughts on that yeah but it, it can be um there, there tends not to be so many retained agents in uh, in the investments uh, sphere um, whereas an agent will get a sole mandate to go and look for investment property. That does happen in the occupational side where certain commercial agents get retained by Starbucks or whatever it might be to go out and spend, you know, to go out and find a lot of sites for them. Yeah. In the investment sector, it's more, it's more typical for um, an investor to speak to either the whole commercial agency market or have a select group of whatever it might be, five that they trust. Um, and, um, you know, then just make sure that that agent is busy trying to source you properties and in yeah. which case you pay them a, pay them a fee. Um, and you don't have to then pay for, you know, hourly work or, or a monthly retainer as, uh, you know, as you go along. So it can, yeah. it can work well. You don't have to pay until you get a deal done. Yeah. That's the key one. Yeah. Yeah. And like you say, it's trying to find out who's motivated and actually doing it and who is not necessarily doing the activity because they've maybe got the plate full with other things. And, you know, it can work both ways, can't it? They, they're actually not really looking. <laughs> and sometimes the investor, as you see, is not really buying. Yeah. Well, I mean, the commercial agent's got, only got a certain amount of hours in the day. Um, yeah. You know, they have a target to hit. So all the time they are working out whether, uh, rightly or wrongly, whether if they engage with you, that they will, you know, do a deal and meet their fee target. So, yeah. Um, you, know, it, you know, it is sometimes difficult to, to engage with a commercial agent, um, but if they're busy, as you say, they've got other things which they, should, you know, <clears throat> which they need to be doing to servicing existing clients. 
Um, but I, I suppose what I would say is, as you know, for new investors, you you want to, you know, you want to sort of engage with the with the commercial agent at the right level. There's, there's probably no point in phoning up one of the, you know, one of the bigger partners at one of the bigger agencies because you'll just, you know, because they'll be dealing with the with the big pension funds. Yeah. So you want to find one who's probably on the early part of his journey, a bit younger, maybe at a small consultancy where their overheads are a bit lower. Um, so they don't have to, you know, chase the big deals. And then just get a network of, of a handful of those, you know, those that will return your calls, you know, the ones you like speaking to. You know, that's trial and error, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but pick your agent correctly, you know, make sure that uh, they're, they're engaged and will be excited to have your business. Yeah, and they want to grow. Yeah, I think it's when you have somebody who's very well established that it's challenging to actually get noticed, whereas somebody's wanting to grow their business. Yeah. Or their practice, then yeah, that, that's a good that's a good fit. But also the the younger agents, in my experience, are typically very you know very very hungry. They're they're on the phones a lot more, um, they're networking a lot more. You know, small deals mean a lot to them because they're just starting out. Um, you know, what you don't necessarily get is the is the cutting edge advice from a new start commercial agent because. You know, they don't have the experience of being in the market for 20 years and knowing yeah. all the pitfalls. But as long as you take that on board, you're quite likely to get a good deal flow from, a, from the young agents because they're very, very hungry and very active. Yeah, great, great advice. Thanks, Andrew. So I wanted to drill down a little bit into retail, if I may. And, and you know, there's, there's lots of moving parts here. There's permitted development, of course, which is specific to England. There's... Um, retail changing as a sector and then of course as we just mentioned there are we talking about shopping centers are we talking about perhaps more the, the the high street in a secondary location so i'm predominantly talking more about the secondary locations or at least the stuff that private investors as opposed to institutional investors are going to get into but what, what's your um current advice thinking on retail and where the opportunities are because obviously the sector's struggling but ultimately, at the end of the day, where there's struggle and strife, there's opportunity, isn't there? So what, what, what's your thoughts on retail right now? Well, you know, this, this is the big question, isn't it? Where, where's yeah. retail going to go uh, over the coming, coming months? Yeah, where's, where's your crystal ball? Yeah. yeah but at yeah, the end of the day, yeah. it doesn't have to remain retail, does it? There, you know, it could potentially become something else, because at the end of the day, we're dealing with space, aren't we? Indeed, yeah. And um, it's always a good idea to have... Um, uh, a second option with a property when you buy it, um, you know, they call having a multiple exits. Um, you know, with, with retail at the moment, and I'll, to answer your question, it's, in the, it's, it's, it's tending to be tarred with the same brush. So the whole sector is got a dark, dark cloud hanging over it. Um, and that, what that means, apart from supermarkets, I would say, um, the whole of the retail sector, the prices have tracked backwards quite considerably. So, you know, within all the mess, there is going to be quite a few gems as well. Um, now, the, the bet somebody has to take is whether the market's going to return and prices are going to increase in value again, which looking back at past, um, you know, looking back in cycles, you suspect it might, even with, the, even with the big cloud hanging over it at the moment. But, I mean, just to give you a case in point, I... Um, uh, I, I I bought for, um, I won't say the fund or the town, but I bought for a pension fund five or six years ago, a property in a, a quite well-known town southwest of London. Um, it was let to two good tenants, 
Um, they paid at the time for it, I think it's about five million pounds. Uh, and that gave them a yield of about 5%. They've just sold it for I think about two and a bit million quid. So it's gone down 60%, it was a 10% yield. Um, now, that, you know, 10% yield obviously reflects a lot of risk. That's, that's, what, that's why the yield is so high. You know, the, the high yield reflects the fact that there's uncertainty. But you know, if you really drill down into an individual asset, you might, you, know, you might actually be able to get through that risk. You might find that the tenant isn't in danger of going bust. You might find out that they're there to stay there for the long term. Um, you know, and if you've got a good covenant as a tenant, then you've got security going forward. So I would look through all the headlines and, and see that there are good deals to be done, even if it doesn't mean repurposing or asset managing uh, for retail. There's good income producing property. 100%, yeah. Having, having, looking at headlines in the Sunday Times or something about the retail sector is not going to tell you what's happening in your local market or what's happening with the department store down the road, because they're all very different, aren't they? And just a question, the, the um, two tenants, key tenants that were in that property, are they still there and paying their rent? They're still there, yeah, paying their so rent. They, so yeah. the only thing that's changed is market sentiment and the yield has shifted to 10%. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Now, in commercial property, um, yields bounce up and down far quicker than they do in, um, in in residential, and it's you know it's not beyond the wit of man to think that um, you know if, if people start seeing retail as a as a socially acceptable word again <laughs> in the next few years, that uh, you know, and, and there's a herd mentality amongst sophisticated investors. As soon as they see their compatriots going back into the sector, um, then they you know typically will pile in. Um, so you know, it can those those prices can rebound as quick as they move out. And just for this for Perhaps more the part of retail that certainly I would look at is maybe some of the smaller units um, or at least larger units becoming smaller units. Do you think in this subsector there's some changes going on there in terms of people shopping local or other types of operations moving into retail spaces, even though they're not typically having rows and rows of product for sale they may be doing something slightly different they may be working more as a workshop or a design studio or so a bit more of a local um, business is that something you're seeing changing is that a trend that's continuing it's, it's going to happen jerry isn't it they, they, there's going to be so much um, vacant floor space within our town centers entrepreneurs will come in and, and, and find a and find a use for that and you know by no means are all shops going to be suitable for turning into flats um, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, doesn't it? And yeah. um, pension funds and landlords and banks will want to actually get tenants in there. So there'll be concessionary deals which happen um, over the coming months and years, and entrepreneurs will take advantage of those. We're starting to see, we're starting to see it happen. We're starting to see some um, different uses take up those shops. Um, we're still at the very early stages, though, but. Um, you know, I'd expect to see our high streets quite different in, in five or ten years' time, not, not just uh, a row of shops. You know, you'll see some co-working space, medical space, um, community uses, you know, just uh, hopefully a more eclectic lineup yeah. rather than the sort of homogenous that we've had. Absolutely. And just a little um, pet thing from my own point of view. One of the yeah. sectors that's obviously doing really well right now is industrial and um, storage sector partly because of the internet, yeah. but the yields there are the complete opposite direction, aren't they? They're being suppressed. <laughs> but what yeah. do you think there is any potential for some retail space, 
where it fits well, where there's reasonable transport connection, i.e. it's probably not bang on the high street, for those types of properties to maybe be used for some of those other sectors? Or do you see planning is just too difficult to change that? Well, I think at the moment, pl planning is um, planning is going in the right way. Um, it, feel, it feels like it's being um, driven by central government, uh, you know, who came out with this use classes change, use class E last, last year, and they're obviously driving the sort of uh, retail to resi bandwagon, which is coming along. So, yeah, I, I think... Um, yeah, I, you know, I think I think I think the sentiment is right for various other uses. I mean, um, to take our retail shops, um, the one that springs to mind is, is last mile logistics. Yeah. Um, or you know, even even dark dark kitchens. Um, you know, whether they're smack bang in the centre of our towns, I, I doubt. But um, you know, on the edge of our towns, former supermarkets or former showrooms. You know, you could see other exotic uses slipping into there. Uh, in the future, I would dare say, yeah. Okay. Um, with the, the permitted development rights changing in, in, in England, do you feel that some people are potentially getting a little bit blinkered into looking specifically for projects to convert into resi? Um, do you think sometimes there's opportunities for running them as commercial being, being missed? Um, and I the other bit, I guess, of that whole equation is if lots and lots of space is converted to resi, there will, of course, then become a shrinking supply of yes. um, retail workspace. Um, so th those kind of those those levers are changing, aren't they? What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, uh, I think people got very excited and, and probably still are about the you know the, the change from retail to to resi. Um, just picking through the small print and, and looking at the detail, um, I, I'm not sure that the flexibility's there in terms of you know, the use classes, but I'm not sure physically it's going to be as possible as people might have thought. There's, um, there's various tests which have to be done. Obviously, property needs to be vacant for three months. Um, minimum space standards are being brought in and expect that to continue. Um, natural light is a big factor now and you know just sort of various other encumbrances so I suspect it won't be the rich picking ground that people initially jumped at was, you know there'll still be some good business to be done there but I'm not expecting to see a mass shrinkage of our, of our high streets turning into um, turning into random apartments here and there yeah I, I would say you know and, and also um, as they did with um, uh, offices to resi the local authorities will will come in with their article fours changing yeah. you know sort of putting a putting a bit of a break under that yeah there was other levers there wasn't there yeah. um just back to the retail set for a second uh with your clients are you finding those that are able to buy and take advantage of the opportunities right now have their own finance in place i.e they're not necessarily going to traditional lenders yeah that is that that is really difficult the um um uh, yeah there there is a two two tier market born out of the lack of finance you know if you look at the um um the small the small deals in um uh, in the auction the small retail deals are still they're still selling well um you know half a million quid million two million pounds there's, st there's still a market there but you know get much above that and then you know people want to start introducing debt quite quite rightly and then it you know it tails out a bit 
And the market above that, um, you know, five, 10 million pound plus was dominated by the institutions and they're, yeah. not, they're not there at all. So yeah, the small, the small investor market, you know, the guys with a bit of money um, in the bank and, and such like who, who are cruising the auctions are still, you know, still paying fairly competitive prices, but you know, above that, then debt is a real problem. Um, what what is going to uh, help though is um, you know, the yields are moving out to such a such a range or such a sort of a soft basis that um, you know the challenge of banks which are coming in uh, and, offer, and offering finance as they do, but you know it's expensive finance. It's you know it's not like you're getting buy to let. It's not one to two percent. It's you know yeah. five six seven percent, but. Now, there will be a yield margin um, over and above that because secondary yields are, you know, ten percent. So yeah. you know, you can you can pick up expensive debt from sort of exotic finances, but you'll still get a you'll still get a margin because because um, yields are so soft. Great. Yeah. Okay. And again, the new investor. Any other barriers you see for them um, getting in, and maybe ways of getting around those, Andrew? Because finance um, is obviously a big one that people bring up quite a lot. Um, as a barrier to entry, but there are ways around that, of course. Um, but what other barriers have you had? You know, maybe some of the, the smaller investors that have started working with you and then they've come against a wall they can't seem to get around. I think, I think the biggest barrier to entry for the smaller investors is just understanding the, understanding the market. You know, it, it, it is different. We're all used to buying and selling our own houses, aren't we? So, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. It's, it's tangible uh, doing residential deals. Um, I tend to find that most people who come into the res- into the retail sector have that have got some education and do know, you know, have done their research, know know what they're up against. Um, you know, get, yeah, the price of debt is is more, but uh, also you know the, the deposits you have to pay are more as well. Uh, there's a level of amortisation, um, so it's just not interest only. Um, uh, and, and you know, there, there's a lack of um, there's a lack of clarity in the market as well. You can go to any yeah. estate agent and, uh, and and pop in the front door for a chat, can't you? It's, 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 not, it's not quite the same. Same with commercial, though. <laughs> uh, uh, they're, they're squirreled away on the sixth floor of an office somewhere, aren't they? Most commercial agents. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're uh, talking specifically about retail there, but just in general. Um, you know, a, a new entrant to the commercial market, they may have some good experience in, in resi, but as you say, you come into the commercial market, some of the principles are the same, but the characters are different and yeah. the approach can be different. Um, and sometimes it just can be a bit overwhelming or underwhelming, depending on how you view it, yeah. to yeah. actually get into get into the sector. And if somebody was getting started in commercial, yeah. so not necessarily mm. looking for retail, and I appreciate it totally depends on what they're what their um, eventual goal is. But if they're building up a portfolio in Resi and now they're looking for some more cash flowing assets <clears throat> and typically looking at commercial, what are the sort of things you'd maybe suggest to them where we are right now in this market? And if they were looking to get in, would they maybe best starting small, starting large, certain certain sector? What, what's your thoughts on yeah. newbies right now? I, I would... Um... I would certainly try to engage with a, you know, with a commercial agent, as we were speaking about a bit earlier, somebody you've got, you know, chemistry with and somebody who will, who will um, appreciate your business. Um, I think, uh, you know, you, A, you'll get, you'll, you'll get the deals, but B, you'll, you'll find out hopefully where the, you know, where, where the problems may lay in a property that they're, they're, they're there to advise you on, on the purchase, not just put the, 
property in front of your computer and then walk away. They're there to they're there to give you some advice and tell you if the tenant's going to stay there or you know what rents are doing in the town. Um, so try and try and engage with a few commercial agents. I think in commercial, a lot more can go wrong in, than in residential. Um, you know, you've got typically longer voids. You know, if a tenant if a if a tenant goes in commercial, you, you know, in residential, you should be able to let it within a matter of weeks. It's not always the same in commercial. You know, it can take six months to let a shop, even a year, and you've got rent free to give as well. Um, you know, you might need to spend money to to, to redesign the shop. Um, so I, th- I think there's, I think more, can, just more can go wrong in, in my view. So yeah, align yourself to a couple of commercial agents as you're getting, as you're getting going, um, and, uh, just, you know, just pick up their advice really. Yeah, if fees aren't enormous. Try and get educated. Yeah. Okay. Educated. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've got two last questions, <clears throat> both in slightly different, um, areas, but one's about EPC. And the other one's about a little slight tweak on the retail thing. So just with EPC certificates, Andrew, you know, yes. the bar is rising all the time, right? Yeah. And, and I don't think anyone sees that changing. And, no. and, and what we're talking about here is just where there is a line that says if your building is below this EPC certificate rating, you may not be able to rent it out unless you do X, Y, and Z. So what's your... Current view on that. Are you advising certain investors to watch out for that, or are there ways that they can mitigate that as a problem if they're looking at some older properties? It's the way the world's going. We're all becoming more sustainable and environmentally aware. It's a, you know, it's a one-way ticket, isn't it? And yeah. you know, if you think times are tough now, you know, you can bet in five or ten years' time that the restrictions will be will be more restrictive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I would I would err on the side of caution if you're. You know, if you buy, I suppose if you're buying a commercial, you've got to look at your exit, haven't you? If you're buying a commercial property with a with a good tenant uh, and you expect them to them to be there in the long term, then perhaps the EPC rating isn't quite the issue. But if you buy a sort of an older property now, um, you know you expect that you, you expect to go through a few tenants, um, and you you know you think you might sell it in a handful of years' time, then You've got to sort of think that during that journey, you're probably going to have to put in some insulation, worry about the heating, um, worry about who you're going to sell it to in you know a number of years' time, because purchasers are all um, being more stringent on that, and uh, you know they they won't pick up anything unless it's discounted or reflected in the price that is going to have you know potentially PC problem. Yeah. So it's about future proofing, really. And at the moment, what's your view on workarounds for the EPCs? Because obviously certain older buildings right now, you can get them to a certain point or you have your plan in place for the improvements you're going to make. But ultimately, yeah. those buildings will only get to a certain level. Do you yeah. think that eventually they're really going to tighten the screw and uh, make it so that it becomes actually quite difficult? Because that's almost going to be um back to front isn't it actually getting to a point where you may not be able to let out a building so you're going to have to um change it for a new building which uh, defeats the purpose you would argue yes yeah that, i mean that, that's a good question actually isn't it it's like it's like secondhand you know old cars at the moment isn't it Ch- chucking out diesel um the, the old cars build a whole new car haven't you so <laughs> you know. yeah, yeah 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 you'll be um Knock on Elon Musk door for an electric vehicle soon, won't you? But 
Um, yeah, the old cars seem to be protected in that they've, you know, what, what can you do about them? There's, yeah. you know, there's, <laughs> there's nothing uh, you can do to really improve them without spending a whole lot of money. So they, they seem to get a, they seem to get a, you know, pink ticket. Um, and I'm wondering if it's going to be the same for, you know, really old property where, um, you know, it's so old and so impractical or not cost effective to, um, you know, to put the insulation in or whatever it might be to bring it up to modern standard that it, that it might get a pass. You know, it's like these old coaching inns which are being converted into you know, nice you know, pubs to residential, you know, with, with thatched roofs and all that. You know, what's the future for those? Are they, yeah. are they going to be... Are they going to be, you know, heavily scrutinised? I mean, I, I suspect there'll be some properties which will get a free pass, but... Um... I think so. I mean, listed is obviously a good example, that sort of thing you're talking about there. The, the challenge I have with EPC certificates is that, uh, as an example, we, we have quite a few biomass boilers in our properties, but EPC doesn't take account, and solar, EPCs don't take account of the overall impact of the building. What they take account of is just the, the use of energy. But if you're using, if you're producing a lot of that energy yourself, that's not always reflected in the EPC. And I, and, and I think that really needs to change. I don't know, do you, do you agree with that? Or it just it's not quite as holistic as it maybe should be? Yeah, I, I, yeah we're, we're sort of wandering into a territory where the, the investment agent probably would pass, pass, um, yeah. <laughs> pass the funds over to a requisite professional in that particular. <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh, okay, you've got the small print out there, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're often accused of being um, uh, jack of all trades and master of none. <laughs> I'm fairly happy with that moniker. You know, when it gets too too complicated, we've got, we've got go-to people. The last one was about um, retail again, just dipping back in there. At the moment, we have serviced residential, we've got serviced offices, there's serviced warehousing, um, is there an opportunity for service retail where, um, you know, you could argue that a department store or a shopping centre is kind of serviced, but, it, 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 you know, it's slightly different, isn't it? It's not a licence to occupy, it's a lease or it's, uh, um, you know, in a department store, it's a concession. But is there actually an opportunity maybe for more pop-up shop space within a collective that is more serviced? Yes. I th I think this is I th this is something really I, I find quite quite exciting in a, in a sort of a nerdy kind of way. Um, I think it's you know there's definitely going to be a clamor for independent retailers to um, you know to populate our high streets um, over the coming years and an entry entrance to barrier or entry barriers to entry rather get the words out has been a problem in terms of shop fit taking long leases. You know how do you do it? Um, just there's just so many complications for retail over and above just selling their product. So if there if there is that ability for them just to sort of have in a plug and play fashion a retail unit where they can suck it and see for one, three, five, six months or whatever, um, and all they have to do then is concentrate on selling, then I think that's I think that's great news. Um, I mean the the one the one who sprung up and and currently I think does it best is. Is Box Park in um, uh, in London? They've got Shoreditch, uh, Croydon, and and Wembley. Um, I actually found them in their Wembley site, so it's quite close to my heart. But um, yeah, so they have these shipping containers, and they lease them out for you know anything from a week to a year, or you know possibly longer nowadays. And um, you know they they they're able to sort of like curate the tenant mix. Um, yeah. 
so if so, if something doesn't work, then you know they'll they'll let them go and they'll bring somebody else in. So they they carefully they carefully balance the tenant mix and create a really workable ecosystem uh, in box park. But but what else they do, which is where the um, where all the department stores I think failed in the end, possibly apart from Selfridges, is is uh, it was such a sterile environment in those department stores. You'd find a shoe shop next to a handbag. And, you know, maybe somebody was playing a bit of music over the sound system. But apart from that, it was it was bloody dull, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think people just want more from their, you know, from their retail now. So I, I, I can definitely see some sort of service retail um, uh, environment in our department stores. But, you know, well curated by person you know it, it doesn't require um a big uh, um, faceless pension fund or you know big property company without the common touch just dropping yeah. his retailers in and hoping it to work there's got to be some there it's got to be somebody there in, in there managing and curating like you say that the challenge of course is it's a different model and financing it will be challenging so you, you're going to have to have some people with an appetite for risk for that but i personally i think that model could and and you've yeah. just reinforced that that model could be really interesting could work yeah. well yeah well I, th I think that <clears throat> i think now's the time to do it because a lot of these department stores are incapable of being used for much else um so you're going to have some pretty willing landlords uh, yeah. who into you know some crazy out there ideas yeah because they've got they've got no other hope really so, yeah. um, let's just keep that one under our hat, Andrew. We won't tell anyone about that one. Let's <laughs> <laughs> edit this bit out, yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I'm really conscious that some people will want to actually reach out to you. So can you maybe just tell us a couple of places they could maybe find you? Um, I, I, I know you're on LinkedIn. Where can people look for you? Um, yeah, thank you, Jerry. Um, so my commercial agency, tandemrealestate.co.uk. Yeah, and uh, my commercial conversion platform, which we set up, credoliving.co.uk. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, find yourselves on those two websites and my contact details will be there. But like everybody nowadays, I seem to be spending a bit of time on Clubhouse and uh, trying to keep well, it useful at Instagram as well. That's right, that's right. Well, I mean, it's a great platform. And of course, the fact that it's connected to Instagram um, I think is one of the, the genius things about it because then people can get to you across multiple platforms, can't they? And you can communicate with them and all that stuff. We will, of course, put your your details, Andrew, in the show notes so people can um, pick those up there and come to you if they need to. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for talking on such a wide range of um, aspects. <laughs> I wanted to get into the retail thing, but the, the opportunity of having you here to, to discuss some of those other things couldn't be passed. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I'm not the expert. You might think it was an EPC, so I'll just have to brush up that skill. Hey, that's fine. That's fine. It's, do you know what? At the end of the day, it's a moving thing, isn't it? And uh, they're not going to be able to solve it. It's not one thing fits all. So there's going to be ramifications as they work through that on things they weren't expecting. Yeah, like the one about what do you do with buildings? Do they fin finally become redundant or not? And I think there'll there'll be a workaround. Anyway, thanks very much for your time, Andrew. We'll look forward to uh, maybe bringing you on again in the future once you have worked a bit more on EPCs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know when I'm an expert. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Andrew.
there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be your first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.